Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 206. That's dos cero seis, <laughs> doscientos seis. Buiti binafi, bienvenidos, bitches. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a show about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims because contrary to popular belief, you're not going to believe this, guys. Not all serial killers are straight. They're not all cisgendered. They're not all white. They're not all able-bodied. And they're not all dudes. What? No. <laughs> These crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is a racist, <laughs> allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. She is one of the good ones. She's a co-conspirator. She's going to hold hands with us. She's going to use her body as a human shield. She's going to use I will. that. I will. Yeah. And that's that's co-conspirator. Co- there's a word for what that is. Um, I can't think of it, but that's ally? what it is. Yeah. No, no, no. You want to go, you want to be more than Even an ally. More than, I'm an ally Even plus. More, uh, 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 an accomplice or a co-conspirator. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> fighting oppression. But you know what I am not? What? A journalist, investigator, or a psychologist. Oh, that's it. I'm done. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right, so who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Geraldine Parrish, a black woman who arranged the murders of three people and attempted the murder of a fourth. Mmm, a, a real black widow situation. Yeah, kind of. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, the spider. I'm not being, um, I'm not talking about her race. Oh, no, I knew, I knew, I knew what you meant. I knew you were talking about a spider. But when they say black widows, they're usually talking about people or women who their murder partner. their husbands. And they weren't all her husbands. Yeah. Good point. That's why she's our OG of true crime. Before we get into the Sister Geraldine with the church announcements and the church visitors, tell me, Beth, how you doing? I'm okay. It's been a pretty long week and I'm ready for the holiday weekend. It's the day before the weekend and I'm ready. Me too. Good Lord. I cannot believe it's September. Yep. The year of our Lord 2023 is almost over. It's been a crazy year and I just want it to be over. I'm holding my breath. (laughs) You say that every year. I know. I was actually (laughs) listening to an older episode of ours to like... (laughs) I do that sometimes. And I said the exact same thing, but yep. I feel the same way every time, every, every time year. this time of year comes, You're summer's like, officially I'm over. I'm so Bummer. fucking done. <laughs> What's the point of being alive? The summer's over. There's well, brown leaves falling on the ground. That's why we got Halloween and well, there's Thanksgiving in there. I'm not a big fan of Thanksgiving, but then yeah. Christmas. Yes, there are some big days that we tend to get off. <laughs> Yeah, this um, is my and, favorite time of year, actually. Oh, we're, well, that, I mean, okay, you're in Arizona, though. Yeah. And yeah. Arizona's pretty lit in the fall. Yeah. 
because it it's, it's the best. basically summertime, <laughs> bearable summertime when other people are like, oh my gosh, I got to run a Burlington co-factory to get my provincials for the fall. You are out there with a tank top and shorts and flip flops. Yes, living yeah. my best life. Living large. Exactly. Yep. So shout out to everybody. This is also, it's still like hurricane season, school oh, start. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much going on. So just take care of yourselves wherever you are. Now let's get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. <gasps> Thank you. That tune really does. It's relaxing. Down. Yeah, yeah, it is so relaxing. What's in that bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Sapphire71 for your review. Mm, thank you, Hip Hop Air Horns. <laughs> and then thank you to Sherry and Rachel for your emails, information, and suggestions. Yes, we appreciate it so much. More than yeah. you know. Yeah. Things that are helpful and constructive and shared to us with love, understanding we're learning and, and growing and trying to be our best versions of ourselves, best yeah. versions of human beings that we can. So we appreciate it. I just yeah. wanted to say that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in that vein, I also wanted to say that we got a lot of feedback on our episode 203, the Barnes episode. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks were upset with how we handled it because the perp is trans. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to apologize. Yes, sincerely. Yeah, definitely. Nothing that we said was said intentionally to hurt people, but we recognize that we did hurt people. Mm-hmm. So we pulled it from the feed and we're going to do a redo of that episode using what we learned from our trans fam and allies and handle it more sensitively. Yeah. We really appreciate all the feedback we got Mm -hmm. ways we could have handled it differently. And so we're going to, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for all the grace, but also all the um, knowledge so that we can do a better job. Absolutely. And as Wendy always says, we're learning all the time and sometimes we will make mistakes. Mm -hmm. We're going to make more mistakes in the future. We don't mean to, but, you know, Mm -hmm. we're human. Yeah. But we will also cop to it, learn from it and keep moving on our collective quest to be our best sexy selves. (laughs) Amen. You always got to follow it up with amen. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) And then please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, join us on Patreon, where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content. And we have a video club for 12 plus patrons where you can interact with us in person. Yeah. Well, we got a new Patreon, a new patron. And their name is Jessica D. And we are so, so grateful. And here are the hip hop air horns for you, Jessica, before I forget, because I'm a forgetful bitch. Have to say thank you. And here is your tune to also say thank you. A custom tune. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. 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 Fruit Loops Fruit A. Fruit Loops Fruit A. And those are for my Beyonce friends or stands out there who have been. Has anybody else been spending 45 minutes a day just watching Beyonce videos of the Renaissance tour that you can't afford to go to, but wish you were there? Anyway, thank you, Jessica. So let's take a quick break. Let's get into the story when we come back. Oh, also, it's Beyonce's birthday this weekend. Oh, wow. Okay. Look at that. I love it when a plane comes together. Happy birthday, Beyonce. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. 
The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. All right. And we're back. (laughs) Remind us, Beth, who's our subject today? Our subject is Geraldine Parrish, a black woman who was responsible for a series of murders between 1985 and 1988 in Baltimore, Maryland. Although she did not carry out the murders herself, she was the mastermind. I want there to be a movie about her. Was there? Did you find one? Uh, no. Now, she was mentioned in David Simon's book, Homicide. Uh-huh. The one that, you know, they turned into The Wire. Oh, really? And I have that book. So, <laughs> yeah. So I got some information about her from David Simon's book. Hell yes. Look, that's my friend, everybody. Her name's Beth. She's really <laughs> thorough and stuff. Wow. Okay, well, let's get um let's get into it. Love and light to all of the victims and anybody left in the wake of the terrible crimes and harm caused by Geraldine Parrish. Yeah. We want to say rest in power to Albert Robinson, 48, who was an acquaintance of Ms. Parrish, Frank Ross, 46. Parrish's brother-in-law, Ronald Mickner, 37, her niece's boyfriend, Helen Wright, 65, her boarder, Dolly Brown, 27, her niece, survived a murder attempt, an unalive attempt. So now let's get into the setting, which we do because we believe context and history are very important to the story. If you don't like it, fast forward. Or if this is your last time listening to the show, that's okay, too. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, if you're still with us, take us to the setting, Beth. Well, the setting is Baltimore, Maryland. Maryland is located on the eastern shore of the United States, just below Pennsylvania and above Virginia. Baltimore is Maryland's largest city and economic center and constitute the northeastern hub of the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, a.k.a. the DMV. D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. That's right. Actually, D.C. at one point was called Chocolate City. And even though we're not talking about D.C., we will get into how very um, black that area area is. is, But before it was black, it was 100% brown. Because prior to colonization, the area where Baltimore now sits was inhabited by Native Americans for 12,000 years. Wow. Amazing. In the early 1600s, when colonization began, the immediate Baltimore vicinity was sparsely populated by Native Americans. The Piscataway people are indigenous to Maryland, and the Susquehannock frequented the area for hunting and trapping. Baltimore began as little more than a village. Agriculture was dominant in the region, primarily wheat and tobacco. Tobacco requires a significant amount of labor to grow, and enslaved Africans were brought to Maryland to work in the fields. Hmm. I am always like baffled by that, um, about the labor required for all these crops yeah. that white settlers had. And they're like, "What? Well, we're not going to do that. Who's going to do yeah. all the work? Yeah, yeah we're not it's doing just that. Like, what? Yeah. I would never. I would never. Anyway, Baltimore was established in <laughs> 1729 as a port for shipping tobacco and grain. At the outbreak of the American Revolution... 1776, y'all. Hamilton, get into it. (laughs) It was a bustling seaport and shipbuilding center. The shipbuilders depended on African-American labor, both enslaved and free men. Black men worked in maritime trades as joiners, cockers, painters, carvers, glaziers, plumbers, sailmakers, and common laborers. And if Ron DeSantis has anything to say about it, those are transferable skills. (laughs) So I saw a TikTok about that. Oh, you did? Yeah. A black guy was talking about how he did some research on some men who mm-hmm. were enslaved mm-hmm. and how they, they learned some skills. Okay. And then after the Emancipation Proclamation, they were free. 
mm-hmm. and it they did not translate to what you mean anything. They yeah, they died in poverty. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So sounds like it might be pretty important to teach history a little yeah. accurately, don't Gee. you think? I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I'm just a measly <laughs> podcaster. What do I know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he said everything that we already knew, but he did yeah. the research. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> so during the Revolutionary War, the Second Continental Congress, fleeing Philadelphia prior to the city's fall to British troops, moved their deliberations to Baltimore. And Baltimore served briefly as the nation's capital before the capital returned to Philadelphia on March 5th, 1777. The slave trade flourished, which is a weird word to use for something so terrible, in Baltimore's port. The Lexington Market, which became the center of the slave trade, was founded in 1782. The 1790 census listed twice as many enslaved as free persons of color. In 1828, the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad System, or B&O Railroad of Monopoly fame. No! Remember that? Yeah. No, yeah. stop yeah. it. Oh, my God. I hate that game even more. Oh, my God. I, wow. It's so funny, these things that are in our lives. That and we don't know anything guys, about. And, we don't yeah. know. Yeah, some of these things, histories are really ugly. <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, oh boy, now I can add Monopoly to that list. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so B&O Railroad was the first chartered railroad system in the United States, and it was established for trade in exchange with the Western American states. Enslaved and free men were tasked with leveling roads across mountains, streams, and rivers. I always think about that when I go somewhere and there's like something cut through a mountain, a road cut through a mountain or a tunnel. Like who does that work? Yeah. I have the same thought myself, friend, alongside where will I go when the zombie apocalypse starts? Yes. Yes. And and looking for places where I'm going to sleep. Exactly. Yes. You uh, when I'm un- unhoused. Experiencing houselessness. Yes. 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 All those things. Yeah. But now we know. Unlike many other northern cities whose black populations first became well established during the Great Migration, Baltimore already had a deeply rooted black American heritage, being home to the largest population of free black people half a century before the Emancipation Proclamation. In fact, between the 1830s and the 1850s. Most Black people in Baltimore were free and Mm -hmm. often worked alongside white laborers. It was the largest free Black community of any American city at that time. But large numbers of white residents were pro-slavery and rioted when the Union troops marched through the city on April 19, 1861, causing the Civil War's first bloodshed. And I also understand that even though there were free Black people in northern states and places like Baltimore, that there were kidnappers and poachers of human beings who would go and kidnap free black people anyway. I think that was the premise of 12 Years a Slave. Don't oh, fact yeah, check me right. on that. That's, yeah, I think so. But yeah. I think he was in Baltimore or Philadelphia, one of those places. And, and was kidnapped, they, yeah. they just kidnapped him. Yeah. So after the Civil War, new civic institutions were established to promote Baltimore's black population. The HBCU, Morgan State University, opened its doors in 1890. Prominent Baltimore church leaders were active in the Niagara Movement, an organization founded in 1905 to promote racial equality. Members of this group helped to form the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, which, by the way, was formed. It was a rainbow coalition. It wasn't just black people who formed it. It was it was a combination of races and ethnicities, which is why I believe the group is still so powerful to this day. That's because it, cool. Yeah. Yeah. With a large Black population, Baltimore has been a center of Black culture. Baltimore nurtured some of America's most important musicians, including pianist U.B. Blake, drummer Chick Webb, opera singer Anne Brown, band leader Cab Calloway, and singer Billie Holiday. Wow. Celebrated writer Zora Neale Hurston, author of Their Eyes Were Watching God, graduated from Morgan State's high school in 1918. That is amazing. I didn't know any of that stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Baltimore's Black leaders played key roles in the civil rights movement of the 1950s and the 1960s. Thurgood Marshall, okay, Your Honor, was born and educated in Baltimore. He achieved national recognition for his contributions. By the way, that trash, 
Clarence Thomas has been blowing up today, this week. Oh, what happened this week? Something about like, oopsies. I didn't was know I something was about supposed a jet? to disclose stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I didn't. He flew like on a jet somewhere and made some excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made some excuses about not disclosing. Yeah, whatever his his activities. But Thurgood Marshall was replaced by Clarence Thomas, and Thurgood mm. Marshall went on TV and said, "It's a mistake to put him in the Supreme yeah. Court. You can't yeah. just pick somebody just because he's black." And I believe right. he said, "If you are in the grass." A black snake and a white snake will bite you. So, you know, just cautioning us. And now here yeah, we are. He's anyway, a snake. He's a snake. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's what it boils down to. See, Thurgood Marshall was so wise. We should have listened to him. <laughs> so Baltimore was majority white for most of its history, but transitioned to having a black majority in the 1970s. The migrations of Southern and Appalachian Black Americans between 1910 and 1970 brought thousands more Black Americans to Baltimore, transforming the city into the second northernmost majority Black city in the United States after Detroit. The city's Black community is centered in West and East Baltimore. Baltimore is notorious for its crime rate, which ranks well above the national average. Crime in Baltimore is heavily concentrated within a small number of high poverty neighborhoods. And I think a lot of the crime numbers have to do with the fact that they're more heavily policed. You got people looking Probably, for crime. Yeah, they're going to find, find it. Crime. Yeah. One of the most notorious is Sandtown Winchester in West Baltimore, which is approximately 99% black. It was also the home of Freddie Gray and the scene of his arrest and attack by police. Yeah. In East Baltimore is the neighborhood of Berea, whose residents are largely lower-income Black people. This neighborhood served as a filming location for the Baltimore-based TV show, The Wire. Wow! Couldn't get into it, though. Uh, Heard it's very... Yeah, sorry. Oh, my God. It's like one (laughs) of the best TV shows ever. That's what everybody says. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm regretting letting the world know that I didn't watch it. But I just (laughs) could not. I just could not get into it. Oh, my God. I don't know what it was. But I just couldn't. But it's on my list. I mean, I'm sure I can still watch it on... The max. Yeah, the, so, the you know what? Sometimes I'm just not in the mood for a certain type of show. And sure. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to watch this show. This is yeah. awful. And then yeah. like years later, I'll go back to it. and like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so who Did knows? Did you watch Wire when it was on? Not like, when it was on because I didn't okay. have HBO. I watched right. it later. Okay. All right. Well, I, bi- I binged it, like totally binged it. Yeah. For reals. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll give it another try. But uh, back to Geraldine Parrish. Uh, Let's get into her early life. Okay. Sister Geraldine was a child at one point, and she was born. (laughs) Yeah. uh, She was born on May 2nd in 1936. Her maiden name is Brown, and she was born into poverty in Robertsonville, North Carolina, to Zeno and Thelma Brown. The couple had 12 children, so she was born in the Jim Crow South in the 30s. Yeah. Robertsonville was incorporated in 1872. And it is a town located in North Carolina's Inner Banks region. The population was 1,269 at the 2020 census and is about 60% Black. So it's a pretty small town. Yeah. Yeah. Living in a small town. (laughs) (laughs) In her youth, Geraldine attended a Catholic church. Later on, she developed an interest in hoodoo, which we'll get into a little bit later. In 1951, when Geraldine was just 15, she married Elmo Rogers, 20, of Robersonville. It's been reported that they had two children, but we could find no information about them. So I don't know if they actually exist or if she abandoned them. I don't, we don't know. Mm, interesting. Sometime in the late 1950s, Geraldine headed north with her second husband, James Perkins. She settled in New Jersey, where she lived for 12 years. There she married for the third time to a Spencer Manning. Then in October of 1974, when she was 38, she married somebody else named Troy Lee Parrish, who was 29, and they separated in 1977. So now let's get into the timeline. Take us there, Beth. Throughout her life, Parrish had to deal with a lot of death. Many of Geraldine's siblings and other family members died of unnatural causes. Her brother, Zeno Jr., was poisoned in a bar in Pennsylvania. 
What Her the? brother, Louis, was fatally shot in the Bronx. Another brother, Dennis, was shot dead in Baltimore. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, her sister, Dolly May, was killed by her common-law husband. Afterwards, Dolly May's daughter, Geraldine, came to live with her aunt, Geraldine. Oh, so she was named after her aunt. Yeah. Huh. Yep. But when little Geraldine was 11 years old, she died while huffing paint while she was visiting her grandmother, Thelma. While we don't know for sure what the toll of all these deaths were on Parrish's psyche, she did appear to cling to religion. She became a storefront preacher, but also a practitioner of hoodoo. This kind of reminds me of a lot of dudes who go to jail, right? Yeah, and find in the religion. For a long time, find religion. Yeah. And so after something really traumatic or hard, it makes sense to turn to something spiritual, something yeah. that makes you feel like it to help it make sense, right? Yeah. All of this yeah. that well, is a lot of for comfort. Yeah. Yes, comfort exactly. West Africa was once known as the Slave Coast because it was the center of the transatlantic slave trade for centuries. Enslaved Africans brought their religion with them too to all the plantations in Brazil, Haiti, Cuba, and in Louisiana. Vodun, or voodoo, as it is known to the rest of the world, is an ancient religion practiced by some 30 million people in the West African nations of Benin, Togo, and Ghana. Hoodoo, Mm. on the other hand, is not a religion, but a set of spiritual practices, traditions, and beliefs that were created by enslaved Africans in the southern United States from various traditional African spiritualities, Christianity, and elements of indigenous botanical knowledge. Now, hoodoo is practiced by individuals, sometimes called root doctors or root healers, who claim to have magical powers. Hoodoo practitioners generally are themselves Catholics who believe in both Catholic saints and African gods. The practitioner will use such things as roots, herbs, crystals, animal parts, and sometimes body fluids belonging to the person for whom the session is being conducted. A practitioner will call upon the saints or others to help guide the use of the roots and other talismans used in the ceremony. I love the idea of ritual and ceremony. And I myself, you know, I charge my crystals on the windowsill. <laughs> I, I bird sage a lot. And I don't know, it just makes me feel better. And so, again, a lot of this turning to religions that I think are uncommon or practices that are uncommon, they, they, they make people feel good. And most of the time, they're not hurting anybody. No, they're not hurting anybody. Yeah, exactly. So Parrish would charge people for solving their problems through hoodoo. While living in New Jersey, she began driving fancy cars and had plenty of cash when she came back home to visit family. She was always able to attract men and married a total of eight times. My hero! She grew rich and flaunted her wealth. Wow. And she was married eight times, but not divorced. Although, you know, oh, she, didn't al- she didn't always details. get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> Just little details. Yeah. <laughs> So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce-
introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Geraldine Parrish's family was afraid of her because of her practice of hoodoo. Hmm. They believed that she could make men bend to her will. But this power wasn't obvious to the people outside of her family circle. To everyone else, she appeared normal, just a semi-literate lay preacher. Around 1984, Parrish moved to Baltimore, Maryland. She preached at a storefront church called Ship of Zion. Now the joy of my world is in Zion. (laughs) Thanks, Miss Lauren. So uh, this Ship of Zion was founded by Reverend Carrie Harrington. A storefront church is a church that is located in a building that was previously used for commercial purposes, such as a store or a strip mall. As was the church's custom on the days that she preached there, she kept what was in the collection plates. (laughs) Parrish encouraged her parishioners to take out insurance policies. She herself began taking out insurance policies on relatives and acquaintances Mm. with her as the beneficiary. Most of them were double indemnity policies, meaning that they would pay double if the death was from unnatural causes. According to Maryland law, any person could take out an insurance policy on their life for the benefit of anyone else. She sometimes allowed the insurance policies to mature for years. They can't. They, you can't do that anymore, I don't think. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But at the time, I, that was the law. Wow. So at some point, Parrish became acquainted with 20-year-old Edwin Bernardo Gordon. It's been reported that her 18-year-old niece, Renee Burns, who had become enthralled with her Aunt Gerald, introduced Parrish to him. In any case, Gordon soon became her trigger man and he reportedly would do anything for her. So she bent him to her will. <laughs> right. But I mean, she also had a lot of money. I, I don't think oh, she, yeah. he was under a spell. No, but no. But, but people believed that she yeah. was able to do that. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid, there was a lot of voodoo in media. Kids, oh, people, yeah. people taking dolls and sticking them with needles right. and it's like somebody else writhing in pain. I can't tell yeah. you how many times I wish I had a voodoo doll for all yeah. the people that had done me wrong. And I, I, I it, just, it was just always a fantasy of mine. Like, golly, if I just knew some if voodoo. I had, if I only had a voodoo had, doll. If I only had a voodoo doll, my problems would be solved. <laughs> In 1985, Parrish paid Edwin Gordon to kill 46-year-old Frank Ross, her sister Hilda's husband and the father of her two children. Mm. Frank was sick, and Parrish had convinced him to take out life insurance with her as the beneficiary. On November 12, 1985, Frank was found dead behind a gas station where he worked. He'd been shot in the head, and Parrish collected at least $5,000. Wow. Her next victim was 48-year-old Albert Robinson from New Jersey. Parrish knew him from her preaching time in New Jersey, and she had taken life insurance out on him. Parrish, her niece Renee, and an acquaintance of Renee's named Lionel Robinson drove out to Plainfield, New Jersey. They met up with Albert and plied him with alcohol, which was his weakness. Mm. Hours later, they shot him and left him for dead near Mays Landing, New Jersey. But he survived. However, he'd been so drunk he didn't remember what had happened to him. Oh, no! Yeah. Oh, wow. That was a wild night, he said as How he did I woke up. Re- <laughs> yeah. How did I get this hole in my abdomen? Uh, a few months later, on October 6th, 1986, they tried the same trick. This time, after the trio got Albert drunk, they took him to Baltimore, where he was shot dead and left on the B&O train tracks near Clifton Park. In 1986, Parrish and her mother, Thelma Brown, 
bought a house on Kennedy Avenue in East Baltimore. In February of 1987, Parrish married again, this time to Curtis Bell, 32. Mm. Her age was listed on the marriage certificate as 38. Uh, she was actually wow. 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And that marriage didn't last too long. Curtis ended up in prison on a gun charge. Dang. You know, the age, that's a big age difference. Yeah. Age difference. 38 to 50 is, it just seems like who would buy that if she was actually, actually 50? But you know, this is in the 80s. It was the 80s. <laughs> you couldn't like Google anything or like yeah, true, look anybody true. up, right? So yeah. in my mind, it would have been really easy to like carry out a lie for a long time. Yeah. If nobody's like looking too hard. If nobody's questioning you. Yeah. I'm 25. So there. <laughs> On September 23rd, 1987, Parrish married John Davis, a retired man in his 70s. He collected social security and pension checks which Parrish would take, giving him only $25 a month. I'm sorry, baby. The check was <laughs> short this month. Don't be mad. I'm Geraldine. I'm Sister Geraldine. Do we have any first-time visitors? <laughs> Open Bibles to Psalms. Uh, I don't know. My Geraldine bit needs some work. So Parrish had a boarder named Helen Wright. She was 65, and she lived in a room at the back of the house. On February 1st, 1987, Helen was shot in the head while walking home. Doctors were able to save her life, removing the bullet lodged behind her right eye. Wow. Yeah. So she took out a, a, a home, a life insurance policy on basically somebody who was airbnb with her? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Wow. Just over a month later, Parrish sent Helen out to pick up some Chinese food. While Helen was walking back to the house, she was shot in the back of the head, this time fatally. Police assumed it was a robbery attempt gone wrong. The fact that it was the second attempt on her life was written off as a coincidence due to inner city violence. Mm. And Parrish collected at least $10,000 in insurance money. And she continued to collect on Helen's social security benefits. Wow. I mean, she, when you said mastermind, did you use the word evil in front of that earlier? Because that's No, I what... didn't, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, thank you. On September 19th, 1987, Parrish's 27-year-old niece, Dolly Brown. Every time I see Dolly, I want to say parton, but it's Dolly Brown <laughs> and her 37-year-old boyfriend, Ronald Mickner, were at Ronald's home sitting at the kitchen table when they were ambushed by gunmen, Ronald died of a gunshot wound to the head. Dolly was shot four times in the head, but was still alive and was rushed to the hospital. Ultimately, she survived. Wow. Police believed that the attack was drug related and Ronald had been the intended victim. Wow. So basically any excuse to not investigate these crimes. Yeah. Right. Eh, it's inner city violence. Eh, it's drugs. Eh, we're done. Yeah is what law enforcement did. But it is interesting that this woman has a lot of people around her getting shot and dying. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Several months later, Parrish married again, this time to Reverend Rayfield Gilliard, a 79-year-old Baptist minister. Rayfield's wife of 43 years had died and he was lonely and probably vulnerable. On January 18th, 1988, he married Rosalind W. Brown, 49, Rosalind was actually Paris. She had a name change too. Fake names. <laughs> Fake oh names. Yeah. My God, Scammy McScammerson. <laughs> oh wow. Fifteen days after the marriage, Rayfield died. The official cause of death was cardiovascular disease. But the Reverend Alfonso Thompson, who had married the couple, said Mr. Gilliard did not have heart trouble, as far as he knew. He said Rayfield became sick after eating something. Hmm. Rayfield's estate was left to his new wife. Uh -huh. It wasn't huge, but she did get his house, some cash, and his social security benefits. Ooh, which she gets to keep unless yeah. she marries again. Wow. Well, she just, you know, probably would just use Don't a different tell anybody, name. <laughs> they, look, they think her name is Rosalind. So. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. On March 6th of 1988, Dolly went to visit her grandmother. Afterwards, as she was waiting for a cab, she was jumped from behind by an attacker who slit her throat. She was again rushed to the hospital and she again survived. That's too many too, attempts yeah. on your life. 
Yeah. Two Dolly. <laughs> yeah. That's that's nuts. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe it. Sometime afterward, Dolly went to the police and told them that her uncle had demanded five thousand dollars to keep her from being killed by a contract killer. Hmm? Police didn't really take her seriously. She abused heroin and didn't have any money or known enemies. Mm. They thought that her uncle was just trying to capitalize on her fears because she'd been attacked twice. Wow. Another, just another write-off. Yeah. Another writing off of somebody who was victimized. Yeah. And I, part of me wonders if her race didn't oh, play for sure. part. Her yeah. race and her engagement in illicit substances uh, absolutely contributed yeah. to her being ignored. Yep. But they did wire her up and have her meet with her uncle. The uncle was caught on tape demanding the money. He was arrested and the case was closed. But two months later, on May 19th, she was shot again. No! (laughs) This time, she was walking with her Aunt Geraldine, or Aunt Gerald, Mm -hmm. is what they called her, Mm -hmm. when Parrish asked her to sit on some steps to a house, telling her she'd be right back. Seconds later, a man ran up to her and shot her three times in the head again. Stop. And miraculously, she again survived. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. I don't know what kind of gun they were using, but it it had to have been like real, uh, I don't know. Teeny tiny, something small. Small caliber. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking, look, Parrish is putting a lot of effort into this voodoo and it's, she needs to take notes and see what Dolly is doing. What yeah. is what sort of anointing? What kind of magic is Dolly using? Yeah. yeah. What kind of she pray to? Can I meet him? <laughs> um, so Dolly didn't mention to police about the extortion attempt by her uncle. And nothing was done to investigate aside from an initial 24-hour report. Geraldine Parrish was the beneficiary on an insurance policy against Dolly Brown worth more than $10,000. Parrish's last husband was Milton E. Baines Jr. He was also her nephew. Okay. He was 39. She was 52. Wait, wait. they're related by blood? Yeah. Nephew and auntie? Yep. Okay. Mm, questioning, uh, question, <laughs> lots of questions. <laughs> Woo. At the time of their marriage, Milton said that he felt like the luckiest man in the world. Oh. Later, he believed that she hired a root woman to cast a spell over him. Hmm? He said black magic convinced him to marry his aunt while living in the same house with another husband. Black magic did that. Now, are we referring to the black magic that is brown in color, comes in glass bottles, and you can get it at a liquor store? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'm just wondering. Could, it could have been a factor. Black, I don't know. Black magic, <laughs> I believe, is a brown liquor and it'll do stuff to you. So maybe it was that. Milton came to Baltimore from Richmond, Virginia in December of 1987 after losing his job and falling out with his common law wife. He eventually moved in with his aunt Gerald. John Davis, 75, was living in the basement of the home at the time. Milton thought he was just a boarder. But if you recall, Perry should married John in September of 1987. Yeah, that's the one that she was taking his benefits and giving him $25 a month. Right. 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 This this is a scam. <laughs> this I'm surprised this, this is amazing. This yeah. Yeah. But this is unsustainable. Like this is so brazen and outlandish. Like it almost reminds me of that orange guy who's oh, yeah. got those 91 yeah. indictments. Across the country. Eventually, it'll come to bite you. It'll catch up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Milton and his aunt often took trips to North Carolina. And on one of these trips, she introduced him to a man who she said was her real father in an attempt to convince him that they were not actually related. Wow. The length. This is why I believe, you know what? A movie wouldn't do this justice because there's so many twists and turns. We need a miniseries. About yeah. Geraldine Parrish. A Netflix miniseries, yes, yeah. exactly. The two became lovers and then were married by Bishop Nathaniel Brown on July 1st. The marriage certificate said her name was Geraldine Matthews and that she was 40 years old. <laughs> wow! <laughs> he alleged that she continually fed him alcohol and heroin and that he walked around like a zombie. Parrish had taken out an insurance policy on both Milton and his 17-year-old son. Now, wow. again, this was the 80s. But now, if you want to get a life insurance policy that's more than like $10,000, you have to get a medical exam 
they draw your blood, they weigh you, they check all your vitals and get your medical history and stuff. You can't just like, uh, you take can't, out a policy. You can't just go and get a policy. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Now let's get into the investigation and the arrest. What the what, Beth? In 1987, a woman named Bernadette Barnes hired Edwin Gordon to kill her husband. Oh. A man named Rodney Weiss was the go-between and the one who actually connected Gordon to Bernadette. Bernadette's husband, Henry Barnes, 39, was killed on October 14th, 1987, while he was warming up his car. Oh, that is one of my worst nightmares. Is somebody attacking you when your car is on, you're kind of going back and forth between your home and the car, loading it up with the stuff for the day while it, you know, gets going. Not really paying attention. Not really paying attention. Oh, my goodness. Afterwards, Bernadette confided in a coworker, telling them that she'd done it. Alarmed, the coworker (laughs) called the police. What did you think was going to (laughs) happen? And who began to investigate? Bernadette Barnes, Rodney Weiss, and Edwin Gordon were all arrested. Rodney Weiss began talking, trying to get a deal for himself. When police asked him how he knew to hire Gordon and that Gordon was the man for the job, Weiss told police that Gordon had been killing people for Geraldine Parrish for years. And Bernadette Barnes is Geraldine? No, no, she's a completely different woman. Oh, okay, okay. Glad we cleared that up. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so Weiss told police about Dolly Brown and the three attempts on her life and how Gordon had told him, quote, it don't matter what I do. The bitch won't die. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. The bitch won't die. I've heard people say that as like a joke. But yeah. But for it, literally. It in literally. Life, yeah. Literally. The bitch won't die. Unquote. <laughs> Um, he also told them that Gordon had killed Parrish's brother-in-law, Frank Ross. Geraldine Parrish was arrested at her home on July 22nd during a search and seizure raid. While police were searching her home, she feigned illness and an ambulance was called. Of course. Paramedics examined her, found her to be fine, and left within minutes. <laughs> Geraldine, if you don't knock it off, <laughs> we have real people to save. At the same time, a second warrant was being executed at her mother, Thelma Brown's house. Police seized about 45 insurance policies from Holy shit. home and that of her mother. That is, I've never, wow. Incredible, yeah. Exactly, wow. And they used to say life insurance is so cheap. And it must have been if she had 45 policies. 45 policies, yeah. Holy shit. (laughs) Wow. I got so many insurance policies, I got to kill somebody to pay for all of them. Exactly. (laughs) And that's how you can become a successful (laughs) businesswoman. Buy my book, attend my seminar, and watch my TED Talk. Geraldine out. (laughs) Parrish was taken in for questioning. While in the interrogation room, she at first played dumb then began talking in tongues and writhing on the floor, basically acting insane. Huh. When that didn't work, she started flirting with detectives. Wow. <laughs> She's pulling out every card in her deck. All of them. All of them. Every last stop. She left no crumbs. <laughs> she ate it all. Up. Hell of a performance. <laughs> None of this worked, and she was booked into jail. Oh, but they didn't give her, like, an Academy Award or something, too? No, no. Oh, no. man. Oh, Geraldine. <laughs> Suspecting that Parrish had poisoned Reverend Rayfield Gilliard, the state's attorney's office ordered the exhumation of his body. The first body that was exhumed turned out to be someone else. Huh? 
A second body also turned out not to be that of Reverend Gilliard. What the fuck? As it turned out, Reverend Gilliard had been buried in a mass pauper's grave, and the exhumation was abandoned. So yeah, did she there get, was. You would have gotten away with it too if it hadn't been for those stupid <laughs> police. So now let's get into the trial. Hit it, Beth. Although married to multiple men with no divorce decrees in sight, Parrish was not charged with bigamy since the charge was considered insignificant compared to the murder charges. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Um, No notes at this time. She faced four counts of first-degree murder and three counts of attempted murder. Also indicted were her brother, Ronald Church Brown, 33, Lionel Robertson, 20, and Edwin Bernardo Gordon, 23. In addition, Gordon was also indicted for the murder of Henry Barnes. And I couldn't find out why Ronald Brown was indicted. I never found huh. any information about that, but interesting. He was. Maybe just being in Geraldine's vicinity Orbit. is yeah. enough to yeah. get you into trouble. Parrish went to trial in 1989 for the murder of Albert Robinson. She entered a plea of insanity and acted the part at trial, throwing fits and flailing in her chair. When she took the stand, she claimed that she had been duped by men hmm. who made her turn over the proceeds of the insurance policies. What men, Geraldine? You mean all the dead ones? <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but the jury didn't buy it and found her guilty of Albert Robinson's murder. Afterwards, she pled guilty to the other murders, and she was sentenced to life in prison. So let's get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. After her conviction, Parrish was sent to the Maryland Correctional Facility for Women to serve out her sentence. Parrish died in custody of natural causes in 2004. Hmm. Bernadette Barnes, who had contracted the murder of her husband, Henry, pled guilty to first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. She was sentenced to life, with all but 40 years suspended after it was found that she had suffered some horrific abuse from her husband. She served two years and two months. That's amazing at that time. I, I'm, my jaw's on the floor. I'm yeah. really surprised. Yeah. And, and Bernadette is a woman of color, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's unusual. I mean, yeah. Within the story, there was a relative of Parrish's that we mentioned earlier who was killed by their domestic partner. So, right. you know, that's what can happen. And I, I'm just, wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Edwin Gordon was sentenced to life without parole. His wife and the mother of his two children testified against him at trial, as did Bernadette Barnes. Rodney Weiss pled guilty to conspiracy to commit murder. His sentence was limited to no more than 10 years. So now let's get into our takes. What are your takes, Beth? What do you think about this case? Well, she got married at 15. Ah, that's young. That's pretty significant. Yeah. yeah. I've pretty noticed young. for a long time in my life when I meet women who married and had children at a young age like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of times it fucks them up. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a form of parentification, you know. What um, is that? Well, we know that when a child is expected to behave like an adult in their family, mm -hmm. and it's usually due to the adults not being around or available, neglect. Uh -huh. Yeah. Or because they have a lot of siblings and they're expected to parent their younger siblings. Right. Remember, she had 12. Yeah. Uh, we know this fucks kids up. And I think the same is true of girls who have babies at a young age and mm -hmm. probably boys, too. We just don't yeah. see it as often. Yeah. I think more often boys just abandon the situation, but girls sure. are stuck with it. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. And growing up poor and black and the blatant racism in that time and place did not mm -hmm. help. Right. It certainly limited her opportunities. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't imagine that college and none of that was in the cards for her great jobs were available yeah. to black right. women at no. the ready no i mean they weren't available to women period but right. black women especially right. yeah right that's a, that's a good point thanks then she experienced a lot of death at a young age as well i think it made yeah. her callous yeah experiencing so much death may have also been why she got so into hoodoo mm -hmm. hoodoo is kind of a way to take control of situations that you have no control over or at least Absolutely. you think you can take control over it right and she wanted control and she wanted money a lot of mm -hmm. people who grew up poor become obsessed with money. Yeah. And I think all of these things together made her very dangerous. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> 
period. All of those things. All right. Well, let us know what you thought of this story. And if you have any additional facts, like there was some things we, we couldn't find out about, like, what was it? Um, her brother? Why yeah. was he a daddy too? So Ronald if you Church know, Brown. Yeah. yeah. Or, or um, what happened to her kids? Yeah, the if, they, if they were kids, yeah, were there kids? I don't know. Yeah. Let us yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, if yeah, if, for anybody out there who um, is familiar with this case, let us know. So now let's get into how not to get murdered. So, if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment. Because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Yes, yes, yes. So I was scrolling on the old Instagrams and came across this tip from Mama Psychologist at Mama Psychologists on the Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> And this tip, not necessarily related to the case, but one thing that they offer up is that we should teach kids about tricky people. We all know about stranger danger. It's easy because it rhymes. Yeah, yeah. But it is also important to teach kids about tricky people. Those are individuals who might pose a threat to kids' safety. Unlike traditional stranger danger warnings, we miss the mark because harm is more likely to come from someone a child knows. Yeah. That's true for all of the bad things that happen to yeah. children. It's way more likely that it's somebody that they know. The concept of tricky people focuses on identifying potentially dangerous behavior rather than solely categorizing people as strangers. So the red flags and stuff like red that. Red flags. And um, you you talk about, Beth, the hinky feeling. If somebody gives you yeah. a hinky feeling, right. and I think that's a good word for it, especially for kids. Yeah. The aim is to teach children to identify behaviors that indicate someone's trying to manipulate them or deceive them or exploit them. That's a good, really good tip. Yeah. And there's, there's more about, you know, Somebody who a tricky person is going to tell you to keep secrets from parents. Oh, right. Ignore boundaries, isolate the child, discouraging them from don't go tell your mom this. Like, don't Just talk to so and so or whatever. Yeah. Or using bribes or rewards, ignoring parental. I could have used that when I was a teenager. I am telling you, golly, yeah. if only if only we could turn back the clock. But we know yeah. now when we know better, we do better. And now we can share this information. So. Thanks, Mama Psychologist, for these tips. I will have them spelled out in the show notes, and you'll be able to click on Mama Psychologist for more information, more help. Awesome. Thank help you. Kids. All right. Now, look at that. It's shout out time where we shout out <laughs> any content by people of color or about any minoritized groups of folks or any true crime goodies. Boy, oh boy, have I got a true crime goodie for you. Okay, BS great. S high on max it blew my mind and you want to talk about scammers i feel like this guy who scammed basically a fake high school he started a fake religious private high school with fake players who oh weren't even high school students they were adults in their 20s there were no classes and there were no teachers and there was no campus holy shit and one man convinced dozens of young people who they just wanted to play football. They wanted to play right. and go to the next level. And maybe they wouldn't have been good enough to play at a college program, but it was during COVID and all the junior colleges were closed up and they, they didn't have anywhere to go. And yeah. he preyed on their desire to play mm. football and go to the next level. That's and sad. the game was on ESPN. Everybody's like, man, this team sure is terrible, but they sure Aww. look old. And then they looked into it and it wasn't even a real high school. Oh my God. And the coach... Uh, you gotta watch it. It's just like okay, okay, he must have been taking, he must he must have known about Geraldine and her scams because he I he, he was scammy so McScammerson. Yeah. Yes, scammy McScammerson. Also, Heart of Invictus on Netflix, as well as Suits. I've been into my Meghan Markle bag lately. I don't know why. <laughs> but Heart of Invictus on Netflix is about the people who participate in the Invictus Games, and they follow injured veterans from around the world who engage in sport. It's really diverse. We hear people's stories who experience trauma and are living with disabilities told by themselves and nice. their loved ones. And then Suits, it's a, a nice little escape. Meghan Markle's in there. It's a great show. 
I can watch it with my family. And it's just, I think it's underrated. Anyway. Yeah, everybody's been watching it lately. Yeah. Like everybody I, I talk to is like, have you seen Suits? <laughs> Well, I am ashamed of myself that it took me this long because apparently <laughs> this show came out like over 10 years ago. Yeah, but it is yeah. really good. Okay. So uh, what about you? Uh, well, I've been binging Invasion on Apple Plus. Oh. It's sci-fi. There's a really diverse cast. Nice. And it's about an alien invasion of Earth told from the perspective of five ordinary people. And it's Ooh. really good. There's two seasons. I just uh -huh. found it like last week and I'm oh. almost done with it. So <laughs> Oh, two seasons. Yeah. Okay. I love that. You know, sci-fi is interesting because I, I love sci-fi because it, it, it imagines the future and black right. people always are included in, yep, in, in the a future. good sci-fi yeah. story. There is people of color, people of different abilities, people, uh, you know, it's gender diverse, neurodiverse. It's it. That's what I imagine the future to be like. So I love it when sci-fi shows us that. Right. So that is Invasion on Apple Plus. Two seasons, she said. <laughs> BS High on Max. Heart of Invictus on Netflix, as well as Suits on Netflix. So many programs to yeah. get into, y'all. Oh, no. It's I'm here. looking here and I don't see any more of the uh, story nope. or any more segments. I guess that's the end of the show. <laughs> it's the end of oh, segments. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for today. But in the meantime, Beth, where can the people find us? Well, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors, giving us a five-star review, and Five subscribe. stars only, please. Five, yes, five stars, stars only, please. <laughs> yes, and uh, don't forget to subscribe. Yes. And, you know, everything Beth said was true. This is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. to that list okay go ahead where will i go when the zombie apocalypse starts? yes yes, yes. If i only had, had a voodoo doll i only had a voodoo doll you always gotta follow it up with amen amen <laughs> don't be mad i'm geraldine <laughs> i'm sister geraldine oh my god scammy mcscammerson okay mm, questioning uh, question <laughs> Lots of questions. Now, yes. are we referring to the black magic that is brown in color, comes in glass bottles, and you can get it at a liquor store? <laughs> I don't know. We need a mini series about yeah. Geraldine. I got so many insurance policies, I got to kill somebody to pay for all of them. Exactly. <laughs> what men, Geraldine? You mean all the dead ones? Hmm. Geraldine, if you don't knock it off, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> Geraldine out. <laughs> Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> okay. Okay. I guess I will. Oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> All right. Um, fine. Here well, we are. Somebody is going to have to start podcasting by themselves if you don't get their act together. Just kidding. Get your shit together, Beth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Parish paid and what? Ed, sorry. While we don't know for sure. That's not me. West, West Africa. Africa. Another brother. brother. <laughs> There's a word for what that is. Um, <laughs> I can't think of it. Um, and I lost my place. Here we go. In East, in East Baltimore. Let me start that over. No, no. no. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs>
Get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> Wait, that was my John Cougar Mellencamp impression. Oh, okay, okay. Black majority. Black majority. Black Whoa. majority. Whoa! What <laughs> happened, friend? Do you want to do it again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you okay? okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah bro, okay. Oh, we did that. Okay, let's do it again. Okay, okay you ready? Yeah. Fleeing Philadelphia's prior. Fleeing Philadelphia. Sorry. That's it. Uh, <laughs> give me that booty doll. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh what's our next thing? Uh well sleep. Just yeah, sleep, sleep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. All right. All right. Well, I'll see you on the internet and okay. uh, all right. Night night. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.